0: You know, it's and it's truly amazing. Once we started lining up in the book, you know, piece by piece by piece, and we and then you take a step back and you go, "Oh my gosh!" You know, this was a a perfect grand design. You're listening to the Corbett Report.
1: Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com in a conversation that is being recorded in November of 2023 with someone who should be familiar to longtime viewers of The Corbett Report, if from nothing else than her previous two appearances on Solutions Watch. We talked to today's guest back uh, in 2021 for a Solutions Watch on how to meet like-minded people, and then again in 2023, earlier this year, for Meeting People is Easy, both of which were talking about a, a website that she co-founded um, that hopefully, again, you will be familiar with, called Unjected at Unjected.com. But today we're going to be talking to her about something very different, a book that she has just co-written called Burn Back Better, Lahaina, A Perfect Storm or A Perfect Crime, because although you didn't know it at the time, because there was no real relevance to this information, uh, Shelby Hosanna lives in Maui, and unfortunately, had a front row seat to the tragic events that took place there this past August. And here we are in November, and there is already a book about these events that you can get from Unjected.com. The link will, of course, be in the show notes for today's episode, so you can go there directly to purchase your copy. But let's bring her on the program. Shelby Hosanna, thank you very much for joining us today.
0: Aloha, James. Thanks for, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to see you. Uh, I wish we were talking under more happy circumstances, but you know, I appreciate you helping get the word out about Maui.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, you're exactly right about that. I wish we were talking in any other kind of circumstances than this—the truly horrific, tragic events that took place there just a couple of months ago—and unfortunately, in many ways, are continuing with the cover-up and obfuscations and um, the still tragic consequences of that event still playing out. So let's set the table for this conversation. Obviously, we're going to be talking about in some detail about your new book, but let's start by just talking about your own family personal experience with this. As I say, you live in Maui, not uh, in Lahaina, although you do have personal connection to Lahaina. So let's talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I first uh, came to Maui over 10 years ago, Lahaina was, uh, you know, my my landing spot and my stomping grounds for almost five years uh, where I was living and working right off of Front Street and, you know, got to know many of the, you know, beautiful people that ended up being victims in this fire. And even my mom still worked in Lahaina, you know, to this day. And so she was actually there on Front Street the day of the fire and I'm so thankful to know that you know she's okay and that she's here today but you know when she had come home with her uh, harrowing story about what the police were doing barricading people in and how she was essentially paraded into the fire you know it was just apparent that very day of the 8th you know when you combined the fact that no one was warned from the siren system I was shocked, uh, you know, hearing her story of the day and and unpacking just the last uh, few weeks with her. Um, But, you know, we have known, unfortunately, a lot of people that have passed away. Uh, And and like you said, it's still uh, unfolding every day with what we're finding out.
1: Absolutely. And unfortunately, the 24-7 news cycle being what it is, a lot of people who were following and interested in this story aren't anymore. So unfortunately, yeah. this is the, the nature of the news cycle these days. So let's bring um, some of these issues to people's attention, or at least bring some of this information back to people's attention. Let's start with a little bit more detail about your mother's story, because you do go into that in the book. And I think it's a, it's a good way of getting a handle on the absolute craziness of what was happening that day. How did your mother get out that
0: day? Yeah, well, definitely by the grace of God. But, you know, what had happened is she had made it out to Lahaina very early that day, around 7.30 in the morning. So well before, you know, the fire had consumed the town. But already she had described that uh, there was gridlock that early and the power was actually already out in the town. So there was already just this kind of feeling of you know, uh, chaos in the air, especially for the tourists visiting, the locals trying to get to work, and so by the time she did make it to work, uh, finished her day. You know, it was around two thirty in the afternoon, and when she went to leave, she saw a plume of smoke in the distance. But you know, there was not this. Uh, she didn't quite know the severity of the situation because, as we just mentioned, the police were not showing the concern uh, to get people out of Lahaina and where she works specifically uh, is right towards that highway so she should have been able to exit you know quite immediately Uh, but just like many other people they were barricaded in and um, you know so the fire started at Lahaina Luna Road which is kind of the main uh, road that comes into Lahaina Town and so it's a, a, a thorough way from our bypass, which is only one way in and one way out of Lahaina. If you're familiar with Maui, it's it's very um, common to actually get stuck in Lahaina. You know, this is something that people are used to and uh, that, you know, law enforcement should have been prepared for. And, uh, and instead, when the afternoon continued and the flames crept closer and closer to Lahaina, instead of... Um, Seeing a massive evacuation plan, you know, they were essentially just kind of parading people in circles, and uh every road in Lahaina that day was blocked by a police barricade, uh, by an electrical barricade where they were just trying to uh set up power lines in 80 mile an hour winds, if you can believe that. Uh, Let alone just uh, barricades of just cones uh, that were actually just preventing good citizens uh, until they finally realized something is is wrong here, and it was the locals who uh, actually broke the barricades. Those were the people who survived, and you know my mom uh, circled each each uh, inland street in Lahaina Town because she was thankfully familiar with it, and finally when she went all the way back in a full circle where she started, um, a, a local had knocked down the cones and she was able to follow them and get through. And uh, she made it out about 15 minutes before the town was completely gone. Um, she had actually passed her boss on the way out who who spent the whole evening in the ocean. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the second part of the discrepancy is, you know, these stories that we hear from the survivors don't reflect you know that what the media told us in our uh 24-hour news cycle
1: it's such an incredible story for so many reasons one of which is just to reflect on the fact that once again like for example on 9/11 the people who made it out were the people who weren't listening to the authority figures oh go back to go back to work it's fine just just stay here no um it's absolutely terrible and it's tragic to think of all the people who did comply and sit there and unfortunately were consumed by those flames. Absolutely terrible and tragic fate. And it raises so many questions about that police response. And in fact, there are so, so many questions about what happened that day, many of which you do raise and tackle in this book. For example, why were the sirens not sounded? Emergency, one of the greatest emergency systems on the planet, apparently, but not sounded that day. Where are the children? Why Why was There there was officially one deceased child for how many weeks after this took place? Um, Mayor Richard Bisson claims he was unaware of the fires until 12 hours later? What? Why were communications shut down? Why was the water shut off? Why was the Maui police chief brought in from Vegas, where he had overseen the Mandalay Bay shooting cover-up, And then given a raise that was beyond even what he had asked for, what is happening here? There's so many baffling questions. Uh, Let's start tackling some of those questions and and get into some more detail. I I don't have a particular one that I want to tackle here. Just all of these things. Um, Tell us about what's going on here.
0: You know, it's, and it's truly amazing. Once we started lining up in the book, you know, piece by piece by piece. And we, and then you take a step back and you go, oh my gosh, you know, this was a, a perfect grand design, just as if we know that they're good at doing practice makes perfect. And these globalists or whoever these people are who are, you know, wanting this disaster capitalism to occur, you know, they, they were eloquently laying the pathway once we took a step back. And, you know, yes, uh, Pelletier he was the uh, chief of police in the Uh, 2017 shooting and actually when he came to Maui there was a lot of discrepancy with the police force here where most of our police force that was uh, here you know seniority they left because of the abusive nature that they described uh, being under Pelletere not to mention which we get into in the book that he's also the ordained coroner of Maui we actually don't have a medical examiner and so he is doing the job of police chief and coroner, which is just a complete um, obstruction of justice. And, you know, he's claimed himself that that's why this won't be investigated as a crime, because no crime occurred. And, you know, like we had said, Maui was familiar to this kind of uh natural disaster. We had a siren system that was the most robust in the whole entire world. And on their website, it states it's for terrorism, lava, tsunamis, and wildfires. Yet, uh, where were they? And we know that they worked because it was kind of the The local joke that, you know, on the first of the month, we'd hear the tsunami siren and we'd say, oh, it's um, time to pay our rent. It's you know, there's the the rent siren and the fact that the fire raged for hours and nobody, uh, you know, took it upon themselves to to sound that, it, it makes it feel uh, just absolutely deliberate because it was the elderly at home with the children while the parents were at work in Lahaina town. And, you know, these people were the least able-bodied to escape the fire. And why weren't they given a warning? Uh, and you know, there were some police evacuations, but not until it was far too late. Uh, on top of the fact that the water was gone, it was turned off. You know, they, they claimed they wanted homeowners to leave uh, their homes and not fight the fire, but yet they left the firefighters empty-handed. And, you know, when you when it really gets 9-11 vibes, where we get in, uh, especially when we talk about where the officials were the night of the fire, um, they were not on island. And you're right, they, they claim to not know about uh, any of the destruction until the next day so who were the police taking orders from and you know that's something that just kind of keeps you up at night where were these orders coming from if, if no one knew um, and you know I'll before I ramble too far where was the uh, the military we are a hundred miles away from Pearl Harbor which is the largest military base here in Hawaii we should have had hospital ships uh, ships with water pumps coming to help put out the fire they could have been bringing generators and supplies yet none of that happened and you know I fear once and especially once we put all of these details into the book and we started looking at this that it's more than just gross incompetence in my opinion um that it is is uh criminal negligence in, in so
1: many ways. Right. Well, one of the things that I, I appreciate about this book is that you acknowledge that there are, as you put it, three camps um, when it comes yeah. to this. Uh, camp number one it consists of those people who believe this was an intentional fire set by criminals. Uh, camp number two, don't be crazy. Smart people never let a crisis go to waste. Of course, people will try to buy up the valuable land. That town was a tinderbox. It was an accident waiting to happen, and they just pounced on it. And then camp number three... Lahaina, is that in Maui? Oh yeah, that wildfire fire was so tragic, I heard that up to 100 people died. So that unfortunately does kind of cover the spectrum, but I, I do appreciate that you bring up both points for and against all of the different camps and their, their different uh, viewpoints um, regarding the intentionality of this, or was it just a perfect storm, or was it a perfect crime I believe it's the way you frame it in the book. And there are points to be made on both sides of this. But when you line all of these dots up, at any rate, as with so many of these events, it, uh, in a certain perspective, it doesn't matter whether this was generated crisis, 100% completely fake, uh, man-made, or whether it was 100% totally natural and man-made, uh, not man-made at all, or some admixture of the two. At any rate, they are absolutely pouncing all over this. To forward various agendas. Um, Let's talk about the way that they have kicked people when they were down with the 700, the gracious $700 payouts that they were giving to um, to survivors of this tragedy um, versus the billions and billions and billions they're shipping off to places like Ukraine and Israel to help them fight their wars. Um, It's absolutely disgusting, but let's talk about the way that the survivors have been handled in all of this.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, and that's, I think, one of the biggest shining lights is this recovery process and the way the victims and survivors have been treated. Also, you know, poor, and at least for me, when I, and myself in Camp One, it shines just even more culpability on it. You know, uh, right after the fires, where was the presence, like I just said, from the military? You, there was National Guard that did arrive, but not until days later. Uh, and, you know, most of the people here, the local citizens were left to actually clean up, uh, you know, bodies of loved ones just to give them dignity because they were in the sea and they were on the street and they were left there. And what what were we going to do? You know, they weren't going to leave them. And, you know, not only that, the trauma and PTSD of that, but The water was completely bad and no electricity. So essentially cut off from communications, uh, water, food, shelter. You know, these people were in survival mode to the fullest extent. And uh, us on the other side of the island, I live on East Maui, which is about 30 miles away. uh, You know, anybody who tried to come even from this side or from neighboring islands was turned away by police, by National Guard, and you were told you would be shot if you tried to bring sur- uh, supplies into survivors. And, you know, think about like Hurricane Katrina. Did did that ever happen where people turned away and told they would be shot by going to help survivors? You know, and instead uh, in, of this recovery process, they were actually just building a large wall in Lahaina instead of looking for for bodies and helping, they were uh, essentially building a, a crime scene wall, and to this day, the seven hundred dollars is all that they've received. You know, there's been many uh, nonprofits and, and funds that have been going on around the island, but as far as the federal government, no assistance whatsoever. And you know, when you combine that with with Biden saying that they're laser focused on getting help to Maui. It's just offensive. You know, $700 is is, uh, a grocery run here. And so right now, people are facing a massive housing crisis. Uh, Many people are... Have, have already been denied insurance claims. Uh, the insurance companies are saying, "Oh, well, your house wasn't up to code because it was too close to the ocean." Uh, and you know, now all of these red tapes and these things are coming out. Or uh, condominium owners who had, you know, maybe twenty different people with different insurances—they're not getting payouts either. And so, right now, the state has this um, this interesting uh, position, which we definitely dive into in the book, which um, Josh Green seems to have set himself up pretty carte blanche uh to be able to to seize this land for people who are unable to uh to you know rebuild on it or uh even even come out of this recovery process and so you know it's uh, it's actually just devastating to see what's going on you know we still have survivors being housed in the hotels uh but over the course of the next few months they're not going to be able to stay there any longer so it will um, either bring a large exodus or a large unveiling of truth for for a lot of people
1: well let's certainly hope that there is some unveiling of truth that comes out of this at the very least but uh you mentioned the uh the phrase laser focused well on that note as you allude to there you are in camp one that this was an intentional fire set by criminals um but as, as uh, people would argue, well, Lahaina, certainly no stranger to wildfires, and the fact that it was a tinderbox waiting to happen, essentially, uh, all of that is acknowledged and understood. What makes you believe that this was not simply just another natural occurrence?
0: You know, well, I I am one to, of course, be skeptical being from unjected and, and being in this freedom, medical freedom world anyways. But, you know, when I when you just... Take when you take a step back and you start looking at all the pieces of evidence and also what they've gone to as far as covering evidence up, you know, even uh, pilot logs are, are being erased off of the air traffic control websites from 8-8. Satellite imagery from um, NOA is gone. So, you know, there's just a lot of really interesting precarious things. And even just like 9-11 where we're still Uh, 20 years later going wow here's a new piece of evidence it it seems like that's just happening every day and and almost a hyper speed and you know do we know if it was a, a directed energy weapon for certain, no. But what we do know is, you know, interestingly enough, Maui is home to one of two directed energy weapons here in the United States, which I can actually see right from my window here. Uh, it's uh, the Amos facility right on Haleakala, uh, which the Space Force and the Air Force love to talk about. Um, we do know that directed energy weapons can be mounted on airplane noses quite easily. Maybe is that why uh, pilot logs are being erased? You know, when when also you just look at some of the uh, evidence that was left over, cars, engine blocks being melted, steel melted, just like in 9-11, a fire that melted metal. That was actually something that Pelleter said in one of his um conferences, you know, melted glass in, in areas where the fire wouldn't have been hot enough to rage. And so, it, you know, it makes you scratch your head. And when unfortunately, too, these victims are found a lot in, in vehicles, they were not able to get out of cars, animals are found flash frozen. There's, there's a lot of questions to be asked about how did how did this happen? Why couldn't they flee the fire? And do I believe that maybe a technology was used because it's a perfect petri dish? I I, I that's kind of why I am in that camp, just because Hawaii is such an isolated. Um, you know, little place in the middle of the ocean. And if you cut off communications here, you can really put the magnifying glass over uh, over us as the little ants and say, what will they do? And, you know, I think, you know, like we said, practice makes perfect. And this isn't build back better. This is burn back better because this is when, you know, when humans don't have a fair playing round, they use fire to get even. And we've been doing this since for centuries in the beginning of time, you know, burning down empires and people and, and civilizations. And um, just because this is modern time, I don't believe it's any different. And, you know, if if they can burn us into the areas they want us to go, we're, we're more easily controlled. Uh, and, and so, you know, and, of, of course,
1: it, you do play on that build back better idea, which, of course, has been seeded into the public consciousness in recent years. And I think is, again, we could turn to a parallel like a nine eleven, where, well, we have these, uh, these white elephant twin towers. It's going to need tons of money to get the asbestos out, all of that. Well, hey, hmm, maybe there's a plan to build back on this exact spot, but we just need to knock these towers down. Well... Could there be a similar uh, agenda at work here? Tell us about this, the 15-minute city, the plans for rebuilding and redeveloping uh, Lahaina.
0: Yes. Well, I, you know, I fear that definitely is a possibility. We, we dive really deep into the book with uh, actually some of the proclamations, but Josh Green went out of his way before the fires actually in July, which is very precarious. Uh, he signed an emergency proclamation that gave him the ability to seize land that was due, uh, or uninhabitable due to a natural disaster how convenient just two weeks beforehand uh you know and essentially what we when when we took a look back we saw oh in in january of 2023 they actually had a smart city conference in kanapali which was just 10 minutes away from lahaina where the whole town is now gone and you know one week after the fire uh Governor Green was over in New York discussing how Hawaii was going to usher in the smart city and the green city. You know, we are calling him Governor Green New Deal because, you know, it's right in front of our faces. and, And he's been going out of his way to talk about it for some time now. And, you know, Lahaina was is what I've heard, ranked the second most valuable land in the whole entire world, real estate-wise. It's just the most gorgeous, pristine, beautiful place you could imagine that's been in the hands of generational Hawaiians for thousands of years. And it was not sold out by corporations. These were mom and pop's families that were uh, holding their ground here. And was it easier for them to clear the land and just get them off so they can have a clean spot clean sweep i hope not but it sure feels that way it's the kind of thing that
1: the average non-psychopath could not even possibly imagine um but unfortunately our lack of imagination our lack of understanding of the threat that is posed by people with truly no empathy for other human beings is um unfortunately to our detriment um absolutely unthinkable but as you say that was one of the aspects of this that I I must admit when all of this coverage was happening I didn't I didn't pick up on but yes I'm glad that you put the emergency declaration here in the book and you reproduce it here for people who didn't see it yes just weeks before this happened an emergency declaration I, what emergency was happening uh, who who knows who cares but hey in the event of a disaster we'll be able to come in and reclaim claim this land it's absolutely it's it's certainly puts uh puts uh, i think a a lot more people in camp number one that we were discussing earlier um it's
0: mine yeah
1: but as i say i appreciate that you included that emergency order in here um all of the things that we're referencing here pictures of the melted uh metal and all all sorts of uh, survivor testimony etc etc this is quite a compendium of information and the thing that strikes me about this we are here in early november I mean, this is only a few months ago, and you already have a book out compiling all of this information. I can only imagine the type of work that goes into putting this together in such a short time frame. Tell us about how and why you decided to publish a book on this so quickly.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's been it's been a collection of us of of souls that have been working just tirelessly, and of course, um, Stephanie Perushi. She is uh, just an absolute incredible author, and you know, I thank her so much for. helping push this out as quick as she did and the incredible skill that she has too. But, uh, you know, what we saw was actually, I think it was day two after the fire. There was actually like an AI generated book that was produced about the Maui fires that was all about climate change and pushing the climate narrative about how the town was gone because of, you know, (laughs) the essentially build back better, the opposite of what we're talking about. And and then once we started seeing, um, even myself, I, when I was speaking about the fire, I was being censored and deleted. Uh, survivors, their testimonies were being deleted and, and gone, just scrubbed. Uh, the pilots' testimonies gone, and it was just, oh, they're going to rewrite this narrative just as if they've done so many times before, and they're they're going quickly at this. And so we just all said, we need to to make sure that this story. Doesn't go untold, and we need to tell this correctly so we can help help the Hawaiians get their land back. One, but you know, so we and so we don't lose what really happened here. And so you know, it it was a tremendous amount of work, so many hours of deep diving, and um, you know, as you've noticed in the book, everything is cited with resources, and you can actually go and watch even videos of the of the testimonies and go look at documents that we've provided. So it's, it's, a, it's actually like a full dissertation or a textbook, um, of, of this crim- criminal investigation, in my opinion. And, you know, we anticipate that it will uh, grow even into maybe more volumes as we learn more, but, you know, this was just the, the accumulation of the last, um, few weeks of what we felt was the most important pieces that need. To be out there for people to just have that thought provoking moment of doesn't matter what camp you are in yet in this moment but ask these ask these questions and you know d- dig deeper because this isn't just lahaina what does this mean for the rest of the world yeah, and exactly, you know, what is the, yeah. what is the playbook here and you know even like we just saw last week in Acapulco um, that was a hurricane flood but Guess what? They were on the Smart City Conference list earlier this year too. So you know, we just need to, um, as a citizens of the world, open our eyes here and go, okay, um, you know, what is the playbook? What's going on? And how do we protect ourselves from? from Build Back Better, because we know that's BS. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, and if that was your intention, then I, I have to say you were successful, because as I was reading this, I thought, well, this is kind of a strange book. I've never read something quite like this, because it is a compendium of so much eyewitness testimony and and th- descriptions of things that were being reported at the moment that it was being reported, and here it is just a few months later in book form. And I, I remember at the time thinking, well, is this a good idea to be publishing so quickly? But as I continued going through it, I I realized, no, this is an absolutely excellent and really important idea because, A, as you allude to there, this is in physical book form that cannot be flicked uh, off by the sensor switch at some big tech platform. It's going to be out there and in paper format and distributed all around the world, so good good on that. And also, it is, I think, valuable to have, especially in this age where so much information is electronic and ephemeral and people might see some post on Twitter and then never see it again, it's good to have this in some sort of collected compendium form. Uh, because as as you admit in this book, you can't come to any definitive conclusions at this point because the investigation isn't finished. But here's all the pieces of the investigation that we have right now. And here are all the pieces on the table. And I think that's a valuable compendium for people as well. So I really do think this is a good idea. And I I hope this does inspire more people in the events of things like this to be doing this type of work, trying to put it collected it and put it in a physical format for people. I think it is valuable on that front. And as you say, uh, you're trying to bring this to the attention, not just obviously people who are already involved and interested in this investigation, but to people more generally, because it is applicable to people around the world, people like myself in Japan and everywhere else around the world. So if you had a moment to address people in the audience who haven't thought about or particularly cared about what happened in Lahaina to this point, what would you say to them? Why is Lahaina important?
0: Yeah, well, you know, even like I'll use myself as an example. I I was one that never paid too much close attention to the natural disasters around. You know, when I, natural disasters, quote unquote. You know, we see them going around. Oh, something's on fire here, uh, or you know, like Paradise City in California gone, and and you go, why are the trees standing but the buildings are obliterated, and why are all of our um, food processing plants being. Uh, burned. And, and, you know, and you start, and you start looking and, um, you know, I was one that I, I, you know, even myself being in the freedom community, I wasn't, I wasn't paying close enough attention until it happened right in my own backyard. And then I went, wow, you know, they really, these, these people are going to stop at nothing for this depopulation agenda. You know, it made, I was focused on vaccines, but here it was in my backyard as, as disaster capitalism. And, you know, so, Just even if it's something that you haven't uh, thought of yet, just to um, to you know, stay vigilant. And not in a in a fear-based way, but just in knowledge is power. And if we can um, see what see what these game plans are, we can prevent them from going further with their nefarious plans. And you know, I believe they do everything symbolically. You know, they they love to use astrology to their advantage. They they love symbolism. And you know, I think that Maui was. Uh, an ushering point. You know, they say that Maui is the mother womb of the earth and they wanted to reproduce their evil, nefarious activities by starting somewhere like here. So I still feel like there's hope. um, And, you know, we are on to them and they know that. And so, you know, just like 1984, unless they want to burn all the books, you know, they can't do that. We're going to be able to come together and tell the real stories. What happened in California? What happened in Greece, or Acapulco or what happened in Lahaina—these are all similar events uh, being orchestrated by, the, in my opinion, people in the shadows. And um, and this, the sooner that we catch on to them, the you know the less um, the less destruction and you know we'll face, uh, and and we'll be able to have a greater reset not the great reset
1: <laughs> Well if we if we perish from our lack of understanding then books like this will hopefully contribute to the understanding we need to prevent this from happening again in the future um there is so much information in here including uh history about Lahaina and and so much more that we haven't had time to cover in this conversation so I hope people will get a copy of the book again it is called Burn Back better lahaina a perfect storm or a perfect crime uh co-authored by uh, uh shelby hosanna and stephanie perucci um shelby where can people get a copy of this
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find it uh, on shopunjected.com. It's actually um, our new merchandise swag store. So if you like to see any other unjected stuff, you'll find it there as well. Grab a coffee, um, or if it's easier, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, We don't like to support Bezos, but well, well, you can if you want to. (laughs) And um, and so yeah, shop injected.com And then, um, of course, you can find me just over at unjected.com, always.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today. And thank you for putting this information together so quickly. I hope people will check it out. Um, But we'll leave it there for today. Uh, Shelby Hosanna, thank you for your time.
0: Thank you so much for helping uh, get the voice of Maui out and I really appreciate it.